Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. All right, so does anyone know where you are? Oh, no, I meant like the verse, the chapter, Genesis 7, yes, which is close to the end, I think. I think we're getting there. Um, and again, we're talking about Noah's Ark, and I know maybe some of you are like, how can we speak for two weeks about Noah's Ark? And I would say, just because I'm killing time, pretty much. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I was going to say, this is going to be awesome, but, but then that's like saying before you say a joke, you're like, this is really funny. And then you're like, well, okay, then you just raise the stakes. So it better be funny. You just announced that it was. Uh, so we're going to start Genesis 7, and we're going to get through two, chapter, two chapters today. It's going to be crazy. Thank you. Okay, Flynn. Um, all right, <clears throat> we are making progress. Look, our goal is not to get through the Bible fast, all right? Um, Genesis 7, 1 said, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you with all your household, for you alone I have seen as righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean animal you shall take with you seven pair, the male and his female, and of animals that are not clean, two each, the male and his female, also of the birds of the air, seven pair, the male and the female, to keep the offspring alive on the surface of the earth. For in seven days I'm going to cause it to rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy, blot out, wipe away every living thing that I've made from the surface of the earth. So Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Now, you might be thinking, I thought it was two of every kind, right? And in the last chapter it said two of every kind. But like in Genesis 1, Genesis 1 walks us through each day and gives us this big summary of what happened. And then in Genesis 2, it actually goes back to when God created man and goes a little bit more in depth. And that's what's happening here. It's going a little bit more in depth. Um, so um, they're telling us, for most, there's seven pairs, two of every kind, of the clean animals, and then um, one pair, right, of a, a pair is two, in case you didn't know of unclean animals. Um, and this is actually really important because at the end, they sacrifice an animal. So if you thought it was like, oh, there's only a pair, and then he's like, the Lord's like, give me a sacrifice. And then you're like, whoops, no more lambs. I didn't think about that. Um, we have to sacrifice one. So there's seven of each pair of the clean animals. Um, another thing I just want to point out is like, I don't know if you guys watch nature shows. We, we watch a lot of uh, nature shows in my house. Um, and like, how it's, it doesn't make sense if you think of it in terms of how nature works. Like, why, if you're going to try to populate the earth fast, okay, and you take seven pairs, that's 14 animals, right? Seven males, seven females. Wouldn't it be a lot faster if you took one male and 13 females, right? That, that would just work a lot faster. Like, you see, like, um, we were watching something on bison, and the bison will fight for the right to mate, and then they'll mate as much as they can, and then they go die because they fought and mated so much, right? And it's like, well, that would be, if you're trying to populate the earth, get us as many females, like child-bearing animals as possible with one male. But I th it shows that God has a plan. His plan is one male, one female in a pair. Sometimes people look at King David and say, oh, he had a lot of wives, so like that, I can rationalize polygamy. But just because the Israelites did it or men of God did it doesn't mean they were following God's plan or listening to God. Okay, sometimes they took things from the surrounding cultures that weren't necessarily, God wasn't pleased with it. It wasn't like, yeah, you do your thing, okay? And then God tells Noah, it begins in seven days. 
And sometimes when God starts to move, like we can pray and pray and pray for something to happen. You know, when he's like building the ark, it's probably like taking forever. And like we can pray for something and God's like, just wait on me. And then when it happens, you're like, this is really fast. This is really fast. This is kind of happening all too fast, Lord. And I can just see when God's saying, Noah, seven days, he's like, oh my goodness, this is, this is coming up real fast, God. And I, and I wonder what it was like knowing seven days ahead of time what was going to happen knowing what was going to happen in seven days, right? Did he have second thoughts? Did he go skydiving? Did he go Rocky Mountain climbing? Did he go 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu and then leave that bull out of the ark just for spite? Like, or did he look around, did he look around at all the people that were going to die and think that God wasn't good? Was he tempted to be like Lot's wife and kind of look back at what God was going to destroy and maybe long for it a little bit? Or did he continue to trust and know that God was good, even though salvation for him didn't mean salvation for everyone? I see so many Christians, we change our theologies based on people that we love. We're like, man, you, you see parents all the time. You're like, this is a sin. I know it's a sin. And then, and then your child gets caught up in it. And you're like, well, I don't know anymore because I love my child. And I want God to love my child, and so this can't possibly be, a, and we kind of change our theology, right? And even though, but God is just. God is just. What is right is right. What's wrong is wrong. Doesn't mean he doesn't love people and want them to follow him, want them to be saved. But, but sin is sin, and things, theology doesn't change, truth doesn't change based on the people that we love and what they're caught up in. So it says, Noah was 600 years old when the flood of water came on the earth. Then Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him entered the ark to escape the flood waters. Of clean animals and animals that are not clean and birds and fowls and everything that crawls on the air, they came, motivated by God, into the ark with Noah, two by two, the male and the female, just as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, God released the rain and the flood waters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that same day, all the fountains of the great deep subterranean waters burst open, and the windows and floodgates of the heavens were open, and it rained on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, there's different uh, beliefs on when this actually started. Uh, the more recent beliefs, they think this started in February. Um, and one thing I want to note that's not often pictured with the flood is we often think of the rain but we don't often think about the underground caverns, the subterranean waters. It says they were emptied, okay? Because you can think like, oh, 40 days and 40 nights of rain. People are like, I don't know if that can flood the earth. And you're like, well, come to Florida. Watch our raindrops. They will flood the earth. But the subterranean caverns are emptied. And so they went into the ark with Noah, two by two, of all living beings in which there was the breath and spirit of life. Those which entered, male and female of all flesh, entered as God had commanded Noah, and the Lord closed the door behind him. Now that, the Lord closed the door behind them. This means there, are, there is a time when, when fates are sealed. There is, a, there is a time when it's too late. You know, I read a book with this pastor. He thinks everyone goes to heaven because he just, I just can't imagine God leaving anyone out because God loves everyone. He couldn't possibly. And, and it just seems like hell to them because they don't want to be there worshiping God. And so it's awful. But, but God, see, we see this throughout the Bible. God seals the door himself. He closes the door. He is the one that says time is up. Time is up and these will be saved and these will not be saved. He separates the, sh the lamb from the goats. 
And it's his hand that divides one from the other. And it says in Matthew 10, 34, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword of division between belief and unbelief. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household when one believes and another does not. That's not saying if someone's not a Christian, you make them your enemy, but you will find sometimes that it seems like even the ones you love are working against you in your pursuit of Christ. So it says in 17, The flood was 40 days and nights on the earth, and the waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it floated high above the land. The waters became mighty and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the waters. The waters prevailed so greatly and were so mighty and overwhelming on the earth, so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. In fact, the waters became 15 cubits higher than the highest ground, and the mountains were covered. All living beings that moved on the earth perished, birds and cattle, wild animals, all things that swarm and crawl on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land, all in whose nostrils was the breath and spirit of life, died. God destroyed every living thing that was on the surface of the earth. Man and animals and the crawling things and the birds of the heavens were destroyed from the land. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters covered all of the earth for 150 days or five months. Uh, there's a few numbers in here I want to take note of. We all know it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, but I think sometimes we, we, get, we start to think that's as long as this ordeal was. But the, this ordeal was a lot longer. Uh, we see that the waters, and we're actually going to make a nice little chart of this at the end. But we see the waters kind of had their way for 150 days. Also, that number 40, we see a lot in the Bible. It's actually the second most used number in the Bible after the number 7. And it represents a period of trial or testing. And you'll see this as a common thread. Moses was on Mount Sinai without food before the Lord for 40 days. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days before being tested by the devil. The Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years the spies, when they were sent into Canaan, they went, they took 40 days for them to do their work. Nineveh was granted 40 days to repent before God destroyed them. 40 kind of represents the time of trial or testing, but also a passing from one era into another. What was into what is. Okay? And, and it, water, if you remember, because we say water just had its way for 150 days. That water, like in the beginning, represents chaos. It represents a difficulty to be passed through. It represents a power that can't be controlled, that man is scared of, that can't overpower on his own. Right? Just as the Israelites had to pass through the Red Sea, this, this water, God had to make a way. And there's, a, and there's an uncertainty against this chaos, this water. And then in Genesis 8, 1, 4, it says, And God remembered and thought kindly of Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the land, and the waters receded. Also, the fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The pouring rain from the sky was restrained, and the waters receded steadily from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the water had diminished. On the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat in Turkey. And most of us are familiar with what happens next. Um, at the end of another 40 days, Noah opens the window of the ark which he'd made, and he sends out a raven, which uh, flew here and there, um, didn't find anything. So then he waits seven days. He sends out a dove. 
uh, it found no place to rest its feet, um, and so returned to the ark. Then he waits another seven days, and I'm going through all this because I want you to memorize these numbers. There'll be a test. And he sends another dove from the ark, and then the dove comes back with a fresh olive leaf in its beak. And then he waits another seven days, and he sends out the dove, but the dove did not return again. And then it says, now in the 601st year of Noah's life, on the first day of the month, the first month, the waters were drying up from the earth. Then Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and the surface of the ground was drying. On the 27th day of the second month, the land was entirely dry, and God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing from all flesh, birds and animals and every crawling thing that crawls on the earth, that they may breed abundantly on the earth and be fruitful and multiply. So Noah went out, and his wife and his sons and their wives with him, uh, after being in the ark one year and ten days, every animal, every crawling thing, every bird, and whatever moves on the land went out by families, types, groupings. And Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every ceremonially, ceremonially clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of man for the intent of man's heart is wicked from his youth. And I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. So finally, they see the other side. And for us, it's two chapters. It happens pretty quick. And it's a nice little children's song and story, like 40 days, 40 nights. And they get to the other side. But I want to look at what transpired time-wise. So there's seven days of waiting for the flood to come. And some scholars think there's seven days of preparations and then another seven days inside the ark waiting. But I just put seven. Um, then 40 days of, of the rain, 40 days and 40 nights, rain. Then 150 days of the waters prevailing, having their way, doing whatever they want to do. And then another 150 days of the water draining or waning. right? And then another 40 days of waiting. And then seven days of waiting and seven days of waiting between the birds. What Do you notice a word that keeps popping up on that little chart of ours? Waiting. Waiting. Ugh, that's a lot of waiting. Um, I wonder if they had a little, like, you know, like they show in prisons where there's, like, little marks, you know? And they're like, how long are we going to be in here waiting and waiting and waiting? But they're waiting to see the promise of God fulfilled. But while they're waiting... Everything isn't still and quiet. Things are crazy. Can you imagine all the animal noises? Ugh. I would hope, I would hope that, that God would like quiet them. And that there was a Noah movie a few years ago. If you, if you saw that, erase it from your memory, because it's not biblical in any way. But they like did this like uh, crazy drug incense and all the animals went to sleep forever. Because God told Noah, oh, there were so many drugs in that movie, it was weird. It was like, what am I watching? This is what are these rock monsters? These aren't angels. I don't know what's happening. Again, I, I hope I, I spoiled it for you so you don't have to see it. Um, but while they're waiting, the water is just like, it's, it's crazy out there. And it's got to be, not only, you know, there's like the mundane things of like taking care of the animals, but it's got to be scary a little bit. It's got to be scary. Like Noah, you know he's like, uh, did God forget about me? Does God still love me? Did I do something to anger him and cause him to turn his back on me? Let me tell you something. Every time, I don't know if you, I was going to say, I don't know if you've ever been in a wooden boat like I've been in a wooden <laughs> ship. You know, wooden ships, guys, they're not what you expect. Um, 
No, but I've seen Pirates of the Caribbean, all five of them, and I'll probably watch the sixth one. Um, but like when the ship like moves in the waves, it's like, you know what I mean? Like you hear these sounds, it's like, right? Anyone been in a wooden ship? No? Laura, Greg? Then no one has. Okay. If you haven't, no one has. All right. And it's like terrifying, these sounds of the ship. And what would be scaring me as the ship did that was like, I built this ship. It was me. I built the ship. I trust that God is powerful. I trust that he can see us through. But he used me. And I built the ship. And I didn't have a single power tool. Right? Like, Daisy always has these ideas because Pinterest. Um, and Pinterest will be like, oh, look, you can make this double-decker bed that looks like a fort. And this pole comes down. And, like, and, I'm, and she's like, can you make this bed for the children? And I'm like, first of all, I see that man using five different tools, which I do not own one. Secondly, you're going to trust me to build something that a bunch of weight is going to go on the top. And trust that I built it so well, it won't crush my other child. <laughs> Right? Like, uh, and I'm just like, so what I do is I just like, kind of like, okay, well, let's just see. Let's get our tools together. This looks expensive. And if you look at the cost of lumber these days, I might as well just buy it. And we can have it shipped from Amazon. Right? Um, and really, it's not because I don't want to do it. It's because I love my children. And I don't want them to die. <laughs> but still, she'll come to me and say, hey, can you build this? And I'm just like, I am not a builder. Like, who in this room, in this might make me feel bad about myself. Who in this room looks at me and thinks, carpentry skills, for sure. That guy's got them. I grew this beard just, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, uh. Thank you. Thanks, babe. That's why I grew this beard, so I look like I might be able to. But if I shaved, you'd be like, no way. That guy knows nothing about anything manly, right? Um, but seriously, like, it's, it's in, that, in that waiting when, like, God is like, hey, do this, and I'm going to carry you through. That whole time we're waiting for it to happen, like, there's things that cause us to maybe lose faith, right? Like, thinking about, man, this is a hard situation. Now that we're in it and we're surrounded by water and we're 25 feet over the highest mountain, I'm a little bit terrified. And another thing that worries me is I made this ship. I trust that God is good. I trust that God is powerful. But he's using me. And I, I, maybe, I'm gonna, maybe I will mess up his plan for me. Like I can follow him, but will I still mess up his plan? And I think really that's where most of us get caught up. It's not even in the outside world. Like there are things that are scary going on. There's things we see, all this noise on the outside. But really what it comes down to is the, the part that includes our involvement. We're like, man, but this is me. This is me. This is me. I trust God. He's good. He's powerful. But, but we're talking about me here. And I think as, as, we, as we get surrounded by, by the waters and the chaos and as we hear the sounds and, and, and the threats from outside, it gets a little bit harder and harder to enter into the still of his presence. It's really hard. Because even when I'm trying to, like, Lord, I just, I just want to sit here in silence. I mean, my mind, just I start thinking of a million different things, and I just can't do it. And I'm also an impatient person. And, and does anyone here believe I'm patient? Raise your hand. That's for you. Raise your hand. Um, 
I'm, I'm impatient. I want things to happen. And in this world we live in, we all are impatient. We want things to happen. And I think we're so inundated with the sounds of the storm outside. Like we want to enter his rest. We want to enter his peace. We want his peace, but we can't enter into the still. We can't enter into the stillness where we're just like, God, just you and me. I just want to hear. I just want to hear. And so today what I want to do is we're going we're gonna to do a little exercise. Um, and I just want, uh, Joe's going to come up, and I want him to, he's just going to read us some scripture, because that's where we enter into the still, when we just allow ourselves to hear the word of God, to listen to the word of God, to hear what he has to say. And I want to, we're going to turn the lights off, we're going to close our eyes, and we're just going to quiet our minds, and we're just going to listen to the word of God and sit in the still and allow him to speak to us and allow him to give us peace and rest. I don't know what's going on in anyone's life. I don't know what's going on outside these doors. I don't know what's going on at work or in your home, but we need to enter into the still and just hear what, what's in God's word. What, what is truth? What is, what is the promise of God? Even though we might be, feel like we're messing it up, I'm going to stand on the promise. What are the promises of God? So I'm going to invite Joe up, and he's going to read us some scripture. Because his voice is a lot more soothing than mine. All right, the first one is in, <clears throat> excuse me, Lamentations 3, 18 through 26. And I said, <clears throat> My strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the bitterness. My soul still remembers and bows down within me. But this I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait, wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Psalm 123, 1 and 2. Unto you I lift my eyes, O you who dwell in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord, our God, until he has mercy on us. Psalm 130, 1 through 8. 
Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should take note of iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Isaiah 55, 3 through 6. For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. Listen to me, my people, and give ear to me, O my nation. For law will proceed from me, and I will make justice rest as a light of the peoples. My righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands will wait upon me, and, my, and on my arm they will trust. Lift your eyes to the heavens, and look on the earth beneath. For the heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment. And those who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever. And my righteousness will not be broken. Matthew eleven, twenty-eight through 30. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about The Well and other resources to help you study the Bible, go to thewellministry.co.